because what you don't know about energy can kill you. Here's Alex Epstein. Welcome to Power Hour. I'm Alex Epstein. Well, for the first time in years, I'm doing a Power Hour Live. And the reason I'm doing a Power Hour Live is because of the, you know, the real crisis and tragedy we're having in Texas. And I think it's really important to understand this and to uh, learn from it. And, and I, I don't think that most people are understanding it properly, uh, but I think I can help break it down. And in particular, my guests can help break it down. So today I'm bringing on Steve Malloy of junkscience.com. And I'm bringing on Steve, let me put it this way. I generally only listen to predictions of the future from people who acknowledge the present. And most people who predict the future on climate and energy don't even acknowledge the present. But the best thing is to get an account of the future from people who actually predicted the present. And Steve is one of them, and I think I am one of them. So I thought I'd bring on Steve to describe the current situation and tell us what it means for the future. So Steve Malloy, uh, welcome back to Power Hour. Hey, Alex, thanks for having me back. Hey, great, uh, great to have you. So most of the time we're gonna actually be looking at some charts, including many you've shared, but just give us your overview of what is happening in Texas right now. Because I think the general public is just getting the sense, oh, there's a really bad storm. And yeah. there are some blackouts, and that's sad, but at least President Biden will send some nice federal aid, and then we can forget about it. Uh, yeah, he's already declared an emergency and setting funds down there. So this is really the culmination of the war against fossil fuels. Uh, Texas has put itself um, in a position where it's reliant on wind, and they got some really bad extreme weather, uh, ice freezing the windmills. And guess what? The windmills don't work when they're frozen. So they've got rolling blackouts going through the state. There are you know, uh, 2.3 million, 2.6 million people without electricity. And it's going to be that way for the next day or so. Uh, it's just been a disaster. And you know, as, you, as you mentioned earlier in the lead up, uh, you, know, you and me and others have been predicting this. And this is going to keep happening because we keep mindlessly switching to these unreliable uh, sources of electricity. And you know, this is not a situation where it's not okay to have electricity uh, half the time or most of the time or almost all of the time. Our civilization is based on having electricity all of the time. And when we don't have electricity all of the time, it's a massive failure. Yeah. So let's talk about like, let's go back 20 years ago before all the different pressures for unreliables. And we'll talk about some of them. What would this have looked like 20 years ago in Texas dealing with these kinds of weather conditions? Well, uh, you know, there'd still be difficulties, but, you know, you wouldn't have your grid relying on windmills that are frozen. Uh, instead, you would have to have heavy machinery, you know, digging out maybe frozen coal piles, but the coal would be there. You could shovel it into the machines at the rate you want, into the boilers at the rate you wanted, and you would have electricity. You wouldn't have this kind of situation. Um, you know, even with, with natural gas, uh, you need natural gas would be flowing through the pipelines and you know, providing electricity. You know, Texas has never been dependent on something that could freeze up like this. Natural gas and coal don't don't work this way. I mean, there are issues with them. You know, if you want to burn more natural gas, it only comes through the pipe at 22 miles an hour. So that's kind of a limitation. Um, you know, one advantage of coal is that, you know, you got your pile of coal right outside your you know operator's window and they can load that into uh, the boiler as fast as they want. But, um, you know, you don't have this kind of, of you know, tragedy that we're seeing now in Texas. 
All right, so I'm going to now pull up for the the viewers. You're going to be able to see now, and so now, Steve, they're going to be deprived of our lovely faces, but they're going to be seeing some uh, graphics. And I'll, I know you can't see them on your screen, but you've seen all of these, so I'm just going to uh, start off and I'll, I'll describe them to you, and you can sort of shed some light on them. So one is uh, one that I've shared, which, and I'm sure you've seen this one. So this is from, uh, oh, I guess this is, wait, is th this might be... Um, Oh, this is a MISO one. I meant to have uh, a actual uh, Texas one. Let's see if I have a Texas one. So MISO is mid-continent, so it's it's related. Um, okay, so this is a, uh, well, you can see on Twitter, uh, I posted the uh, ERCOT one, but it's basically, you see at the bottom, it's one of these things where you have at the bottom uh, red for coal, um, and then you have, rather, red for nuclear, brown for coal, uh, uh, light brown for gas, and then green for uh, green for wind and yellow for solar. And what you see is in Texas, and it's even more pronounced than the one people can see on the screen because this is for uh, the Midwest. You see that nuclear is totally steady, coal is sort of at its high, and gas is skyrocketing. And then wind has almost completely disappeared when it's needed most, and it's just going up. Uh, it's going up like that. So that that vindicates what we're saying, right? That this is like the, you have these controllable sources, particularly gas, and then the ones you were relying on just didn't do the job. Well, yeah. And for the last um, you know five to 10 years, Texas has been shedding coal plants from its grid and replacing them with wind. And, you know, that's okay during the spring and fall and maybe sometimes during the summer, you know, when it's not too hot, you know, a lot of times you can, you, you can have that much wind. Um, but in these extreme conditions, like we're seeing today, you got to have fossil fuels, you got to have natural gas and you got to have coal or nuclear. Uh, there's nothing else. There's no substitute. Well, I would just add though, I mean, in a set, I think of it more as they're trying to get away with it. Cause one point I make about the unreliables is they don't get rid of the reliable infrastructure. So they always add costs. And I, I see you have debates with different people who will say, oh yeah, solar is cheap and wind is cheap, but they never look at the system costs, let alone right. the system costs involved in blackout. So I think of it as people are, it's not cost effective on almost any scale to use wind, but people have been trying to get away with using as much wind as they can to meet these kinds of arbitrary targets. And they've been increasing prices and decreasing reliability. So my view is it's never been a good idea. What's what's your view? Yeah, solar and wind are not cheaper ever really than natural gas and coal because you have to maintain this other infrastructure. And if you only use coal and natural gas sporadically or when you have to, then when you need them, it's really expensive to run them. And right now in Texas, you know, power is like $9,000 uh, per megawatt hour. And that, you know, that's where it's capped. Um, you know, my basic uh, sort of debunking of this notion that wind and solar are cheaper. Uh, well, why is the rest of the world building coal and natural gas uh, or, or nuclear? There's, you know, uh, wind and solar are, are not the first choice because they're not the cheapest. I mean, that is, you know, they're cheapest if you put all these artificial costs on coal and then, you know, you only let coal run uh, like on a day like today in Texas, yeah, that's going to be really expensive. But what what does it cost for, to run solar at night or, or wind when it doesn't blow? Well, you know, it's, it costs human tragedy. Right. So, I mean, the way I, the concept I think of in terms of a lot is just long term system cost. So, I think that I've talked about this with Meredith Angwin and others. I mean, a lot of these prices that exist today, when people talk about prices, these are not free markets with real competition. These are prices based on arbitrary pricing policies set by 
uh, a monopoly that are rigged for solar and wind. And I think right if we look at this image right now, so I'll describe it to you. So on the lower right, we have this is the one where Texas is all red, dark red, which means nine thousand uh, dollars. What is it? Nine thousand dollars a megawatt hour? No, not. Yeah. Yeah. So that's $9 a kilowatt hour. So to put that in context, if you have a 100 kilowatt hour Tesla, that's $900 to fill it up if, if you were paying those prices. Yeah. So well, that's the wholesale price. Yeah, that's the wholesale price, right? That's not uh, the retail. So this is getting to you as a consumer one way or another. And then on the upper left, so on the lower left, it says this is ERCOT. It's saying rotating outages in progress, which is a euphemism for blackouts all over the place. And then you have this forecast earlier in the day, and I'm not sure exactly how it's shaking out, but it's something like this where there's there's the capacity, like even with all of your reserves versus right. the forecasted demand. And right. there's a 10 gigawatt difference. So the way I'd put that is that's something like 5 million homes or eight of the DeLoreans from Back to the Future, you know, which are 1.21 uh, gigawatts, or they call it gigawatts, but the same same thing. So this is there's something going on where when you're depending on all of this wind, it's actually so expensive, plus unreliable. What is the cost of a blackout? Like, what is the cost of industry to industry? And who's going to want to set up industry in Texas in the future if this is a situation? And you mentioned China. Like, China, last time I checked, is five times our industrial electricity use and they're two thirds coal. So what, I mean, what do you think of this idea that, oh, well, China is leading the way. Larry Fink says, you know, they signed a historic climate agreement and Biden says they're gonna eat our lunch with renewables. What's what's your what's your take on that? Well, yeah, so yeah, China's leading the way and being for China. I mean, let's keep in mind that, you know, China's number one goal is to be the lone global superpower by 2049. It is not to be carbon neutral by any date in particular, nor do they really care about that. Um, they're burning coal and natural gas and gasoline as they can. They love fossil fuel. Uh, and they're happy to you know, use all that power to make the solar crap <laughs> that they sell to Americans. Um, you know, China is going to do what makes sense for China. Um, you know, we've adopted this policy. We're going to, you know, our, 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 the, the main the central planning feature of our government is going to be trying to get the weather right. And I don't even know what that means because I don't know what the right weather is. <laughs> uh, but it's just, it, you know, they have a much more serious focus about what they're trying to do. They, I mean, they have an actual goal. We really don't. So just to put this this uh, same chart in context or set of charts in context, I thought I would look back and look at some of the headlines that are praising Texas for wind, because this is a kind of common thing. And what happens is when the wind happens to be blowing under ideal conditions and when the weather is mild, you get a celebratory media article saying, hey, X percent is powered by um, by wind. So like Financial Times, wind power overtakes coal in Texas electricity generation. Wind power surged past coal in Texas electricity mix for the first time in 2020, the latest sign of renewable energy's rising prominence in America's fossil fuel heartland. Wind turbines generated nearly a quarter of Texas's power in 2020, but they're not stressing this is unreliable. And so it's actually, it's not available when you need it necessarily. And it's a pain to deal with because you have to cycle up your reliable power plants. You have to cycle them up and down uh, like like stop and go traffic. And I'm just looking like Clean Technica, you know, what I regard as a propaganda site. Texas wind power dominates coal in crossover. Well, which one are people wanting now? Like, do they want more coal or more wind turbines? Well, this is the thing I mentioned earlier. You know, we don't want power half the time, most of the time, almost all the time. We want power all the time. 
And, um, you know, this notion that, you know, wind can supply more power than coal. Yeah, it, it, it can happen. I mean, that, it's happening in, in uh, Europe, also in Germany. But right now, if you look at Germany, it's 80 percent coal because in extreme weather and cold weather, the wind doesn't really blow that much. And you need coal. And if you don't have any coal, if you just have wind, you're not going to have any grid. And the same is true in Texas and everywhere across this country. If you don't have coal or natural gas or nuclear, some base load power, uh, you're out of luck. There's no amount of wind and, and solar that can make up for that. So let's take this issue. So some people have been countering to me. I don't know if they've been countering to you. They're saying, well, actually, you know, there's natural gas capacity offline. Actually, fossil fuels aren't doing their job. What's your take on that? Well, look, in extreme weather, everything is going to have problems. As I mentioned, you know, you need to burn more gas. The gas only comes in at 22 miles an hour. Um, if it's really cold and you get an ice storm like this, you know, your coal is going to be, uh, you know, iced over unless you've taken proper preparation. So there, you know, it is possible to have problems. And certainly, you know, there have been grid failures in the past on fossil fuels. But what we're seeing today uh, is nothing like that. I mean, we, we are seeing um, a grid that is entirely, entirely really dependent on wind. Uh, they expect to get, you know, 69,000. They, you know, they have this capacity of 69,000 uh, megawatts. And uh, they're, you know, getting less than half of that. Um, and, and it, you know, it's just unacceptable. It's, it's not a way to maintain. It's not a serious way to run a grid. But, you know, because of political correctness, um, this is how they designed it now. So this is this is the problem. And, and it's going to be like this when it's really hot and really cold. And, you know, if you believe, you know, IPCC climate science, there's going to be more hot, more, more, more extreme weather. And what are we going to do? We're not going to have any electricity. Yeah, I mean, it's part of the reason why just getting rid of reliable sources of energy is not a serious thing, no matter what you're you're thinking about in terms of climate and i'd say part of i think what we're both advocating so in contrast maybe to some other people to my knowledge both of us are big advocates of nuclear of coal of gas and of using the most cost effective solution for the situation so it's very possible that if texas were doing long term system cost analysis it would have a lot more nuclear which is not anywhere near as weather dependent as these other things and i do think there is a bias on our grid against coal like people are not taking seriously enough that coal has on-site fuel storage. You mentioned yep. that gas travels at like just a little over 20 miles an hour. Yeah, especially in a world where we've got a lot of pipeline opposition and where even there, even despite, even without that, you can have issues with pipelines. Yeah, you don't want your whole electricity supply dependent on natural gas. You actually want to make decisions by long-term system cost analysis with reliability at a premium and trying to cut uh, costs. And I think if, if they did that, and they talk about like natural gas things being offline, but part of what, what happens with the way the pricing works and the money works is when you over when you pay overpay for this unreliable stuff, you underpay for reliable stuff. And so they don't build enough reliable infrastructure. And that's always the game that they try to play. They always try to use their reliable infrastructure as little as possible to keep their costs low. That's what happened in California. Uh, this past summer. So let me see what else we can bring up. So let's talk about, um, you've been doing a really good job of sharing uh, stories from around uh, around the world. Actually, let me just, here, uh, any, any other thoughts? I want to pull up one graphic for people. Uh, any additional thoughts for now? Well, just, you know, to what you were saying, you know, our grid should be designed around providing electricity 100% of the time and then at the lowest cost. But right now we're designing grids based on 
political political correctness. You know, I mean, climate is driving everyone you know to in, to insanity, and as a result, we're we're jeopardizing our grid. You know, we live in a dangerous world. We actually do have um, you know geopolitical competitors. We have economic competitors, and and we're just shooting ourselves in the foot, if not the head. Yeah, and and I mean. Again, I just want to make the point that there is all you can always support nuclear. So the whole the whole anti fossil fuel movement is basically the same movement uh, as the anti nuclear uh, movement. So it's not it's it's this false thing that oh they're just trying to lower carbon. No, well, if they were trying to lower CO two, they'd be very pro nuclear. And I don't even know what's being accomplished. I mean, if you look at um, you know UN UN reports on emissions, emissions are. They're going up with no end in sight. And so we're just we're paying more for electricity. We're having less reliable electricity and we're not really accomplishing anything. And, you know, there's a lot. China's got a lot more uh, development ahead of it. India, Africa. We haven't even talked about Africa. In Africa, 600 million people don't have access uh, to reliable electricity. Um, so, we're you know, we're not accomplishing anything. We're, we're just we're hurting ourselves for no reason. Yeah, it is a very symbolic kind of quality, but it's it's just a pure unilateral sacrifice. I so just FYI, I pulled up before I had accidentally the MISO uh graph, but now I have so viewers can see the Texas one and it's much more dramatic because it has the gas just dramatically, uh dramatically escalating. And I think we should just be so grateful to the people in the nuclear industry, the coal industry, the natural gas industry. I mean, because if we had had these mandates, uh, even more of these mandates foisted on us, it would be even more of a catastrophe. Now, Steve, one reason I wanted to have you on is you've been sounding alarm about this around the world. I think a lot of people have been, now they're focused on Texas, but they don't realize that there are these shortfalls in unreliable energy around the world. So I'm going to share some of the things uh, that you have shared. So let's look at, um, let's talk about, let's see, this is, I believe this is um, MISO. Yeah. So what is, what is MISO? And what's going, well, actually, yeah, what is MISO and what's going on there that you've been showing? Well, so uh, MISO is the Midwest grid operator. And, you know, the Midwest is, um, it's got a lot of wind resources, uh, a lot of wind capacity, and there's a lot of wind in the Midwest. So most of the time, especially spring, summer, uh, fall, you know, the winds blow. And even a lot of times during the winter, there's a lot of wind. And, you know, wind can be a quarter, 25%. Uh, of the electricity on the MISO grid. But, you know, when the weather, when the weather gets bad, you know, all of a sudden it's going to be coal, gas, and nuclear to the rescue because wind can go down to 2%. Yeah. And so it's, again, you need, you need the hundred percent backup. And when you even try to play with that a little bit, you're sabotaging. And, and, you know, I've had a lot of experience with, with MISO in that group. They, they, and many others are talking about, well, let's have much more of the, they call it renewable. I call it uh, unreliable. And you'll hear all these stories about, oh yeah, in the Midwest, there's this much wind here and there's this much wind there, but you don't hear about the times when it's low. So it's really this, uh, this propaganda. So let's jump to now uh, New York ISO. So what's been going on there? Well, yeah. So my favorite is there's, there's, uh, I tweeted about this earlier today, right now in New York, there is no wind, 0%. And Okay, so, you know, there's other things to pick up the slack. That's fine. But New Yorkers, they pay 50% more in electricity than the average American for this green stuff. And how much of the green stuff? They get no solar. They get no wind. 
They're just burning stuff, splitting atoms and burning things. Uh, and they've got a lot of hydro, I guess. But there's no wind, and they're paying more for the wind, but they're not getting it. And, but the, and they're also, I mean, you can say they have this other stuff, but they only have this other stuff because the powers that be have not yet banned it. They're talking about banning it, right? They're trying to get rid of nuclear. I mean, successfully, I saw from the EIA, there are more yep. nuclear closures than any form of energy. So you have the reliable, yep. non-carbon, low-cost form of energy, and we're shutting down record uh, amounts of them, in addition to shutting down many coal plants this year. So when I when people see this, you need to think about, okay, wait a second. We need electricity all the time. What is going to happen when we're this reliant on wind and there is no wind? Like if you just think about, I, I actually, somebody I really like, I won't say the name, but he posted something about how, hey, what this shows is that you either need nuclear coal and gas backing it up or you need batteries and this idea, oh, you could just have wind and solar with that. And I'm like, I'm really trying to imagine what his idea is, is the idea that you would build 10 times as many wind turbines uh, in Texas, figure out a way for them not to freeze. And then you would have so many batteries that they would just last you for a couple weeks of electricity. Like today's, well, you, you tell me, what's the state of today's batteries with regard to long-term electricity storage? Yeah, not much. I mean, the best statistic I saw is that as of, as of like two, 2017, I think nationally, we had about uh, eight seconds worth of battery power to supply the national grid. So hardly anything. It's very expensive. Um, it would cost trillions of dollars in any state just you know to back up that state's power. People, people think batteries are magic. It's just like batteries that, you know, like double A batteries, you know, when they when they run out, you got to recharge them or you just throw them away. Uh, they're not just like magic. Um, but I want to get back to what, you know, talking about New York again, you know, you mentioned how they're shutting down nuclear plants. Uh, of course they've already gotten out of coal. Uh, they're also blocking gas pipelines and they're also blocking transmission lines from, uh, Canadian hydro facilities. So I'm not quite sure what they think they're going to use, get their electricity from, uh, cause you know, there's not enough double A batteries in the world to, to make New York work. Just not yeah, and all, all of those is important. Those are all made via fossil fuels. Fossil fuels power mobility, and they power high temperature heat. And that's what these things are made of. So even you know even thinking about these things, I mean, the main thing is they're just not cost effective. The point is not for everybody to have some tiny amount of electricity flowing and to somehow use the sun and wind and batteries. It's to actually have electricity that can improve our lives. But it's it's revealing they don't even have. There's no even concept of producing energy without fossil fuels for decades to come because every form of energy depends on fossil fuels uh, to be produced. Well, Alex, everything depends on fossil fuels. I mean, you can't, you can't make any of this green nonsense or install it or use it or maintain it or do anything with it without fossil fuels. This notion that we're going to get rid of fossil fuels and just go all electric is, is, is you know, nonsensical. All right, so let's bring up another one. This is ISO New England. So this is the one where uh, you've been. So this is the one where, oh, it's a high. It's 7% renewables. But what happens when you drill down into renewables? Well, you find out that renewables are really burning things. <laughs> There's some wind, uh, rarely any solar, especially in wintertime, because it's always you know overcast. Uh, wind is often 1% or 2% or less. Today it was uh, on the order of, I think, 0.2% wind. Uh, but it's mostly burning stuff. You know, it's funny uh, how renewables gets to be burning biomass. 
Yeah, so burning they, wood and burning refuse. So burning trash. Trash, burning trash. Which I'm not against. I'm not against burning trash, but that's not the image they give. No, it's uh, yeah, no. The renewables people think of as wind, and you know you just have to dig down. If you look at those graphs, go to the grid operator websites, look at the graphs, dig down, you find out that boy, this doesn't really make any sense. And so you know, uh, Joe Biden wants to move us to renewable energy, and boy, by 2030 and by 2035, he wants to uh, you know have a, a be net zero on the grid. And how is that going to work? I mean. How are you going to replace these reliable sources of electricity, and at what cost? And 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 it costs more than money, and costs also uh, reliability and availability. Yeah, I mean, w- one point that I think you've made that, I, and Michael Schellenberger has made, and I, I, it's a big point for me because my background is philosophy, is that the whole green energy movement did not come from people who were trying to make energy more plentiful and more reliable and lower cost. It comes from people who avowedly think that energy is a bad thing because it allows us to use machines to have a lot of impact on the planet and for there to be a lot of humans. So if you look at people like Bill McKibben, Paul Ehrlich, John mm. Holdren, even Al Gore, when you really read what he says and like Earth right. in the Balance, like these have a very strong, I mean, to say the least, anti-human strain. They think right. there are way too many people. So when you're taking energy recommendations from them, like the, I'm reminded of a statement by economist George Reisman who said like, you shouldn't take, taking uh, energy advice or industrial advice or economic advice from one of these anti-human environmentalists is like taking medical advice from a doctor who's on the side of the germs. And that's well, what yeah. I think of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, so we don't even really share the same goals as these people. Uh, you know, I, I I appreciate that I'm alive, and I think everybody should enjoy their should be able to enjoy what what I'm enjoying. And the notion that we're going to rational ration energy, even ration life, which is really sort of what you know where Paul Early comes from. He thinks that you know the ideal carrying capacity of the earth is like 2 billion people. And, you know, we're five and a half billion people over that. So that's a problem. And that's a pretty common view. Um, I just, you know, I don't understand it. So I'm not quite sure what the future, I mean, this is a real struggle that we're um, engaged in. And, uh, you know, I'm on the side of more people and I understand that that requires more resources. And, uh, but, you know, I think it's the only um, thing that makes sense to me. Yeah. So, and I think it's important again, that it's not, it's not true. Like you always have to be aware of the goal because you can have the same facts and a different goal and it'll totally change. Just like there are animal rights people who are against medical research, even though they know it's good for humans because they think it's, it, it violates the rights of the animals. And so they could, they could support policies that will literally kill humans. But I think what's great about what you've been doing and what I'm trying to do here is that most people are pro-human, but the anti-human people have put over their policies as pro-human. And if we can expose how anti-human and irrational they are, then people will be more likely to adopt the pro-human policy. So I just brought up uh, the mid-Atlantic area, so where I grew up and I believe where you live. And so what's the, st- what's the status there? Well, in the mid-Atlantic region, once again, you know, under the Biden climate plan where the grid's going to be carbon neutral by 2035 in the mid-Atlantic, you know, typically in cold weather like this, uh, wind power is about one or two percent. Solar is near zero. And it's just how do you get to 100 percent wind and solar, uh, you know, at, at any time in the future? It's just it's not possible. 
Uh, but it's like, you know, you can't even have this conversation with someone on the other side because it's like they'll just close their eyes and um, they, they won't hear you. And it's hard to, it's just not rational. All right, let's see what else. So we have, so let's look now internationally because you've been pointing out there and let's take one of my favorite examples, which is our, our friends in Germany. Actually, my uh, tremendous research, head of research, Stefan Henna lives in Germany, so he has to live with this. But we're told, of course, that Germany is the model of wind and solar, and we'll he hear very extravagant statistics about how much wind and solar they have. So what's going on there right now in terms of the weather and energy? Well, sort of just as a backdrop, you know, Germany got rid of its nuclear plants, which it used to have a lot of uh, after the Fukushima disaster. And in the past 10 years, it's spent like half a trillion dollars going green. And of course, what that has meant is building coal plants. And it's a good thing they did since they got rid of their nuclear because, you know, on, on cold days, uh, Germany can be anywhere from 60 to 80 percent coal. And because the grid doesn't work without it. Now, the wind comes and goes, but Germany has enough coal plants that are running all the time that they can deal with with the, with the fluctuations in the wind. But in the end, they need coal. Now, Germany, which has the second highest electricity prices uh, in Europe, uh, plans to phase out coal by 2038, which is what, eight, 17 years from now. How is that going to happen? What how are you know, when Germany is, is uh, at a time when it's running 80% coal, what are they going to replace that with? Yeah. So again, it, it's not, it's not a real, it's not a real idea. Like a real idea is you actually compete and you offer something on a market. These are just mandates. And I think what's happened is there's just so much group think that people think, well, if everyone is saying net zero by 2050, then that's, that's like a real thing. But many people have made many predictions and promises in the past. And if they're completely not based on reality or they're anti-human, uh, they're either not going to happen or if they happen, it'll be terrible. Or I think what's, it's going to be some combination. Like there's no way the U.S. is going 100 percent solar wind or anything like that. But we will have massive suffering, which we're already seeing. And what I'm trying to sure. communicate with Texas, is, this is just this is not Texas, is not the Green New Deal. They're like 20 percent solar and wind combined. That's and, and we're talking about being 100 percent with something that and we even see at 20 percent. It's a total, total disaster. Now, finally, let's talk about one more you've brought to people's attention, which is Denmark. So Denmark, you hear statistics like, oh, they're getting 70 percent from uh, wind and this kind of thing. So what's happening? What's been happening in Denmark lately? Well, so in Denmark, where they pay the highest prices for electricity in Europe, um, you know, they can get away with 50 uh, percent, even sometimes 70 percent wind. But when the wind stops blowing, then Denmark has to start burning natural gas and they have to start importing uh, natural gas and, and coal power from other countries. And, um, you know, Denmark can be 70 percent coal as well. And it just goes to show that, you know, you cannot build. I mean, the Danes, you know, they spare they're sparing no expense. You cannot build a grid, a reliable grid um, that is 100 percent wind. You, you need these other things. And but. Um, you know, most people don't know about that. They only hear, oh, yeah, Denmark, 70 percent wind. See, everybody can do it. No, <laughs> that's only looking at some of the data. You have to look at all of the data. You have to, you know, imagine how this is really going to work in the real world. And keep in mind that we want electricity all the time, not just some of the time. Yeah, Denmark's a small country that's interconnected with other people. So if you just thought of it as a city or a state, 
yeah, sure, a small place can just generate all this wind because there are people to take it off their hands when it's not useful and there are people to give them stuff, to give them electricity when they need it. Stefan pointed out to me that Denmark actually imports more biomass energy than it produces with wind and solar. But to give a sense of how much this is distorted, take The Guardian, where every time I go on their site, because there's some article I need to read, they have this impassioned plea about like support our amazing factual journalism. Well, here you go. Here's the headline. Wind power generates 140% of Denmark's uh, electricity demand. <laughs> and and here's, here's one of the quotes from no less biased a source than Oliver Joy, a spokesman for the European Wind Energy Association. It shows that a world powered 100% by renewable energy is no fantasy. Whereas it's just like, it does not show that at all. It just shows that you have a bunch of excess stuff that some, that they often have to pay to get rid of. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think your point, your friend, uh, Stefan has made this point that, um, you know, if you're generating 140% of your electricity, that just means your wind turbines are out of control and you've got to actually pay other countries to take your electricity, which is why Denmark pays the highest prices for electricity uh, in Europe. All right. So I want to, I'm going to go off the graphs for now because I, I have another subject I want to talk to you about, which you've been doing a lot of work on, which is this. So we, we can talk about there are many villains here. And I, I posted today, and I really mean this seriously, when they're telling, they're telling people in Texas now, you know, set your thermostats to 60. And my view is no, the green activists should set their thermostats to off. That's the actual just policy because it's their fault that this is happening. And it's worth thinking about, okay, who are the different causes of this? And I think one of the biggest causes, the political causes are sort of obvious if you look into the details of it in terms of they're the ones who are mandating wind, subsidizing wind, uh, you know, defunding coal, gas, nuclear. So there's that dynamic. But there's also the corporate and financial world, which I think are, are however honest or dishonest they're being, they, they, in effect, they're being enormous Villains. There's the whole claim of these companies saying 100% renewable. When Apple says that, it really seems like, oh yeah, we can do that. Whereas they're just paying the grid to give them credit for other solar and wind and to give everyone else blame for their coal, oil, gas, and nuclear. So it's a total fraud. But the one you've been really involved in and the one I'm even more concerned with is the whole ESG thing in the corporate world. So tell us your take on that, but also what you think is necessary to fight back because you've been one of you're probably the most successful person I know of in terms of fighting this stuff. Well, yeah, that's uh, a battle. Look, I, I'm down to the point where I'm just trying to get these companies to be as honest about what they're doing with climate as they are with as they are required to be with their financial disclosures. You know, the uh, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, which I used to work at as a securities lawyer. Um, they've got some very strict rules, and you, you know, full disclosure. You got to be honest about your financial situation. Um, but when it comes to climate, these companies can say anything. Um, you know, in the worst worst case, uh, you know, the uh, Midwest utility Exelon, which has a lot of nuclear plants, um, you know, they're they're positioning themselves as saving the planet. And of course, there's you know, the United States could fall off the face of the earth uh, today, now, forever, uh, and greenhouse gas emissions are still going up. Uh, and I'm just trying to get you know, these companies to, as a base, that uh, you know, if there is a climate problem, they're not really a significant part of it. There's nothing they can do. They're not combating climate change. They're not fighting climate change. They're not doing anything on climate change. But I, I, you know, it's difficult to make any headway. I've got I've petitioned the Securities and Exchange Commission to issue some rules on climate disclosure, 
And, you know, I've got this black box warning I'd like to see where basically just, you know, these are what man-made emissions of CO2 are, CO2 equivalents. And this is what we're doing. And we're just, you know, and, and it would just show that they're, they're doing a very small part of total man-made emissions and not really accomplishing anything. All they're doing is patting themselves on the back and putting the rest of us in a risky position. Um, some of the worst actors are the utilities and the oil companies. Um, the utilities are bad. You know, there's kind of a, a race in the utility industry right now to get out of coal. So, you know, it's sort of like musical chairs. You know, you don't want to be uh, one without the chair. And they all want to get into wind. They don't want to be reliable. For, they, want, they don't want to be responsible for the grid anymore. They just right. want to be able to sell, you know, expensive wind and solar. They don't want to be they don't want to have coal plants because that looks bad. You know, when you go to the cocktail party, oh, you have coal plants. Like that. They don't want that. Uh, and then we have companies, the oil companies, which you know, BP and Shell, I mean, they're ashamed of what they sell. And Exxon is getting this way, too. They're ashamed of the products they sell, which, you know, fossil fuels are the are the greatest technology that we've ever had. I mean, it's why we have so many people on the planet, thanks to fossil fuels. But these guys, they're, they're, they're ashamed of it. And the utilities, they're ashamed of it. And it's really something. And, you know, what what is Shell going to do if it can't sell fossil fuels? And BP? Uh, meanwhile, in the real world, in China, you know, they're importing as much um, oil and gas as they can. Uh, they don't plan on getting all, uh, on, on stopping to use stopping using fossil fuels. They want to be, you know, the global hegemon by 2049. We're, we're not accomplishing anything. We're being undercut by our utilities and oil and gas companies. So just so I understand with, with the legal thing, is part of what you're saying that these companies are selling themselves as, oh, we're addressing climate change. Like, well, yep. you know, we bought some... We, we paid for some windmills in Nicaragua or something. I mean, there's all this offset BS too, but like right. whatever we're doing is like, we're actually helping you become safer from climate. Yeah. Whereas in reality, yeah. like you cannot, I'm trying to think of an equivalent, but you, you cannot claim that. I mean, you can say I'm doing this tiny thing in this direction, but you can't act like an outcome is being affected by you. Is that the idea? Oh, yeah. No, they're literally lying to people because I mean, they're using this, they're making, they're, you know, we're combating climate change. They're not combating climate change. Um, Apple, uh, a couple of years ago, is boasting about how they're going to reduce their carbon footprint, which I guess right now is about 25 million tons of CO2. Uh, Apple could fall off the face of the earth, 25 million tons. That's nothing. I mean, he, uh, humanity emits 59 billion tons every year. That number is going up. 25 million, it's not significant, not in any way. Um, and, and, you know, Jeff Bezos, you know, he's going to give $10 billion dollars to the climate, well, you know, so far he gave, uh, I think, $700 million mostly to climate activist groups. Yeah, that uh, was really sad to yeah. me. I really like him, and he, he he actually knows a lot about energy. His parents, are from, his dad's from the oil and gas industry, and he's praised the oil, but the idea that, yeah, I'm going to give, not like for nuclear research or for nuclear decriminalization, but just giving it to, I forget, like World Wildlife Fund and NRDC and these. Well, um, these activist groups yeah. that are, what he's really, it's really, he's not giving them, they're not charitable contributions, it's protection money. So they don't attack Amazon because, well, what, what more fossil fuel intensive business is there than delivering packages all over the place? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, and just the, just the denial, I mean, talk about denial, just the denial uh, that's involved yeah. in that. So what do you think, I mean, just based on your experience, because I know you've had some success in the past, what do you think, like, let's, let's just say you're going to, this, 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 uh, I'm not claiming that the CEO of ExxonMobil listens to this, but CEOs of many companies listen to this, at least smaller companies. 
and you know people in the industry, what can they do to to fight against this anti-fossil fuel financial movement? Well, I try to get the uh, shareholders interested, but unfortunately now you know there is a lot of these institutional shareholders, especially like BlackRock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, their their CEO, Larry Fink, I mean, he has gone off the deep end on climate. He even wants to come up with some sort of metric for uh, corporate contributions, individual corporate contributions to climate change, which is just totally insane. But this is the mindset there. And, you know, you can't break through. I, you know, I was uh, I filed a shareholder proposal with Exxon for this spring. Uh, I'll be at the Exxon meeting in May and I'm trying to negotiate with you know, Exxon management on this. And it's, we're not even speaking the same language. Um, you know, they, they really don't acknowledge any uncertainties or dangers with what they're doing. They, it's like, you know, they have, they have consumed the green Kool-Aid. They are uh, convinced <laughs> about, you know, cutting emissions, even though they're going to be out of business if, if they stop selling oil. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, it, it, it's bizarre um, and, and, uh, and scary. Let me ask about one more thing that's come up recently that I know you have a lot of expertise on. I know you saw this. There was this quote unquote study that said that one out of five deaths is due to fossil fuels. And, you know, the point that I make about this is now actually five out of five lives are due to fossil fuels or extended by fossil fuels. And so my, you know, my standard point is that they are just totally ignore the unbelievable life extending benefits of fossil fuels. And yeah. then they, their tendency is always to, uh, you know, wildly overstate the side effects. But if we jump in specifically to the side effects, what, where did they get this, and what's their, what's wrong with their methodology? Well, uh, you know, this is something that the other side has been working on for twenty-five years now. This notion that um, these soot, fine particles of soot that come out of tailpipes and smokestacks um, kill people. And so now we saw a couple of weeks ago, these Harvard researchers, um, you know, now that the Trump administration, now that the Biden administration is back in and the Democrats are run the EPA again, they want to go back, you know, banging this drum that fossil fuel emissions kill people and kill a lot of people, um, one in five deaths. And um, the, the problem with it is that uh, these carbon particles that come out of tailpipes and smokestacks, there's no scientific evidence that they kill anyone. As a matter of fact, we know that people can inhale a lot of fine particles uh, to no to no effect. I mean, they're basically innocuous. Um, but uh, you know, the Harvard researchers, who are actually the core of uh, you know the EPA claims that particulate matters particulate matter kills, um, they have all these you know terrible uh, statistical studies that they do. You know, the epidemiology that we've all come to know and love with COVID. Um, they've got these terrible epidemiologic studies that you know are, are very 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 weak statistics when you ask them can i see your data so that i can run your analysis they say no some of this data they've been hiding now for 26 years and um you know when i, I you know i was on a transition team for the trump epa and we tried to get some of this data we tried to get epa to issue science transparency rules so we could see some of this data we could just never get it so now that now the trump administration is gone biden is in so uh, I expect to see um, the you know fear mongering about particulate matter and how fossil fuels are responsible for one in five deaths in the world. That's a lot, um, but there's no you know you can't just use statistics to condemn things. You have to use you have to have some science behind it. 
Um, and there's and there's no there's no science. It's you know, easily demonstrable. Particulate matter doesn't kill anyone under any circumstances. Nothing that comes out of a coal plant kills anyone. Has killed anyone ever. There have been instances of um, lethal air pollution in the past. In the you know most famous yeah, like London the, fog and stuff like yeah, that. like London fog. Of course, that's confounded by the flu that was going through there at the same time. But um, e even during the London fog or Denora, Pennsylvania, in 1948 or uh, the Meuse Valley in Belgium in 1930, um, these, these are situations where we've had a temperature inversion and acidic gases coming out of industrial facilities got concentrated. And so a small number of people in those areas um, were killed. Uh, tragic, but it wasn't particulate matter. It was the acidic gases that got concentrated in the air. Yeah, there are, there, well, there's a lot, a lot more to talk about with. This. There is a lot. Yeah. So, so well, let me ask one more thing that came up, and I may be remembering it vaguely, but I saw something like they had. I just scanned some of the stuff with the study, and there was some enormous range of possibilities. Like it was even like negative ten million to eighty. Like, do you know? Well, do you know what that's yeah. referring to? And what's going on there? Yeah. Well, it's just there. It's their goofy statistical analysis. So this study that claimed that you know one in five deaths worldwide is due to fossil fuels. If you look, if you actually look at their data, their statistics show that well, in places like Africa and China, particulate matter uh, saying that particulate particulate matter saves lives is not out of the question, <laughs> based on their statistics. So this the study is just totally self contradictory. Um, and, and just through statistical manipulation, they've kind of taken an average and the average, you know, lies, you know, just the right side of zero. So then they, you know, do their, uh, attribution, which, which is another statistical no, no, when it comes in epidemiology. But as you said, there's a lot to talk about. It's hard to talk about in, in a limited amount of time. Yeah, that is really interesting. Just so I guess we brought this up last time you were on the show, but that was years ago. Like what, what's your, your background is in biostatistics, right? Yeah, I have a uh, master's of health sciences from Johns Hopkins University School of Public Health in biostatistics. Um, I was, I, my college degree is in, in uh, natural sciences. Uh, I have a law degree and a uh, master's in law securities regulation. Gotcha. Um, all right, before we sign off, any other important stories going on around the world in the world of energy and environment that people should be aware of? You know, it's hard to pick one. They're all really important right now during winter. I'm trying to emphasize how important it is that we make um, energy choices based on what works, uh, not on politics. And so I've had a lot of fun recently focusing on, you know, what, what the grid operators are doing, how, how they're relying on fossil fuels and nuclear power uh, for their baseload. And this brother stuff is just really a joke. And then along comes Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and Texas, just a great example, makes the point very well. Yeah, I mean, it's just this thing where it's this, tra I mean, like, you cannot let the tragedy, it, it can't just be a pure tragedy. It needs to be like, at least we learn something from this total debacle, uh, because huh. it is, uh, it is really, really bad. So what do you, just uh, as we wrap up, what, what should people in Texas be telling their government uh, right now? Well, I mean, the most important uh, thing they can do right now is stop dismantling their baseload power. Um, ERCOT is continually getting rid of coal plants. Uh, gas plants will be next. California's already getting rid of gas plants. Um, and, you know, in Washington, D.C., as the Biden administration makes climate the central feature of every agency, in fact, the central feature of our policy, 
you know, fortunately, Texas has got good senators, but more people need to get involved, get interested in this, because before long, everyone's going to be suffering like Texans are suffering today. Uh, awesome, Steve. Well, where can people learn more about you and your work? So I publish JunkScience.com, and I spend a lot of time, too much time on Twitter at JunkScience. Yeah, you spend a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, well, I don't know. Some things I disagree with you about, but I have to say that you are my number one news source. You don't know this because I never told you, but you are my number <laughs> one news source because what you do really well is you cover like you read all the New York Times stuff and share it. And so, and you give comments and they're kind of like, uh, like they make sense to me because I have a whole context. And so I just like, oh, yes, like Malloy is like you're the number one person on my feed. Because at least I know like, oh, here's what the mainstream people are saying. And here's a quick indication of what's wrong with it. And so it keeps me up to date on them without having to suffer through just reading the freaking New York Times every day. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it so that, you know, you don't have to read the Times. And, you know, I, I, I like I enjoy reading the paper and, um, I, you know, I probably comment on too much. But, I, you know, there's all sorts of gems that you find that the other when the, when the other side is raving about climate. And that's what I love finding. I love there are all sorts of gems. Yeah, well, I, I enjoy getting them mined by you and not having to read the primary sources. So, yeah, Steve, I'm, I'm going to have to go on for a couple of minutes. But so um, I'm going to have to sign off with you. But thanks so much for coming. And we'll speak to you soon. All right, Alex. Thanks for having all right, me. Take care. All right, everyone. Thanks to Steve Malloy for coming on. Thanks to everybody who's who's viewing live. It's like, it looks like we've got a good, uh, you know, several dozen People, let me just see if there are any questions. I could, I guess, I could take some comments. Okay, let's see. Um, okay, energy rationing in Germany. Elect yeah, ERCOT is called Electricity Reliability Council of Texas. That is uh, very ironic. Yeah, so this is bad. Uh, LA pays double because of renewables. New England is starved. Let's see. Anything else? Okay, these are just comments. I don't see any. Uh, questions. Someone talked about Stefan, who is my, one of my secret weapons. And let's see, anything else? Um, here, you know, somebody talked about blackouts in LA. Yeah, there's a really good graphic that I shared on Twitter when that was happening. And it was some huge percentage, I think 40% or so was coming from coal. California, I'll just talk about that for a minute, is a really important lesson. Well, so California is a really important lesson, but the, the, the great thing about Texas as a teaching tool is Texas is the most independent grid in the country. That is, it's not as interconnected with the rest of the country as other grids are, and Texans tend to take pride in that, and that can be a good thing, but not if you are over-reliant on wind. So one of the reasons they're having all these problems is because they don't have the nearby reliables to bail them out. But what happens is everyone, I, I want to keep making this point, like, unreliables, mandating unreliables, subsidizing them, it's never a good idea. It's only a good idea to do something if it actually reduces the long-term system cost and or increases the reliability. So if that, like, so these, it's what people are doing is they're trying to get away with something. And an analogy I have that may, may uh, offend people is it's sort of like you have this initiative at your company where you want to hire as many drug addicts as possible. And it's like, oh, like, like Apple decides, okay, Tim Cook, like we want to support drug addicts. We want to say we have as high a percentage of drug addicts as possible. So these are people who are unreliable. Well, yeah, you can get away with that at a small scale, but at every scale, it's not actually going to help you because you need the reliable employees and then you need the drug addicts. And so this idea is just, oh, if I do a small amount of it, I can virtue signal and then I can get away with it, but it's, it's still destruction 
and then you're 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 endorsing this destructive idea and then people are going to ask you to scale it and then you start to scale it and it's it starts to be disastrous so what we're having now is they're still relatively early in the scaling relative to what they're asking for and yet it is still a massive massive harm and that's why i think it's a perfect teachable moment when you have massive destruction even with the small scale that's where you got to stop and with california what we've seen is we had just way too much unreliable totally dependent on other states 25 percent of our electricity total comes from other states but that can mean at a given time it could be on the order of 50 percent and then but the more they start doing unreliable electricity so arizona they do it if nevada does it if utah does it like the more that starts to happen the more they're going to look for someone reliable to bail them out when it's hot, and they're certainly not going to send their stuff our way. I think we just, in California, contracted for some very large amount of fossil fuel power during the summer, uh, during the upcoming summer. And what that just shows is, yeah, they know that you cannot, and they said it has to be reliable. Like, they, well, why isn't that the deal for almost every situation? That we need power that is reliable. And it's because it goes against people's religion, which is that you need green energy. And and green energy really just means whatever form of energy satisfies the whims of the green movement slash religion at a given moment. There's no scientific classification of green. Uh, green just means minimal impact. All energy has impact. The purpose of energy is to impact the world in a better way. All of it involves processes that impact the world a lot. The green processes impact it more in many ways because they involve dilute energy flows that take a lot more materials to harness than concentrated stores of energy like fossil fuels or nuclear. So the, the whole thing is this religious thing that at the moment claims to favor solar and wind, although it opposes them in practice. And then it's anti-nuclear, which is the only scalable non-carbon form of energy. It's largely anti-hydro, which is great, but limited in terms of how you can scale it. And just everybody is playing along with this religious movement, and they're trying to meet its dictates as much as possible. What we need is we just need a pro-human movement, a human flourishing movement. We get rid of this idea of green. We make the world as good a place for human flourishing as possible. And we look at all of our alternatives with that standard in mind. And also without this bizarre view that goes along with the green religion, that impact is somehow self-destructive, that the earth exists in a delicate balance that nurtures us. But if we impact it, it's all going to get destroyed. None of this is true. We're experiencing, allegedly, the weather in Texas is too warm now. If you view, oh, the planet is too warm because it's one degree Celsius warmer than it was 170 years ago. Like, we're experiencing too much warmth, allegedly. No. So the whole thing is... We have to think of the world from a human flourishing perspective. The earth is naturally deficient and dangerous from a human flourishing perspective. To make it a nourishing, abundant, safe place, we need to be highly productive. To be highly productive, we cannot use manual labor primarily. We need to use machine labor. And to use machine labor, it has to be cost effective, which means we need the lowest cost, most reliable, most versatile, most scalable energy sources possible. For most people, that's fossil fuels. Any negative side effects of that are dwarfed by the positives and the real side effects that can be problematic, like air pollution and water pollution, are getting smaller all the time. That's why. And we have billions of people who are using almost no energy, which means no machine labor. So the whole world needs more fossil fuels, not less. Now, this is controversial, but it is 100% true. Nobody has come close to refuting me. I'm finishing up my next book now. I'm sending the manuscript on March 2nd, and I'm totally on target for it. And there's just, this argument is just irrefutable. Like it, it's it's not, and I don't mean to be arrogant about me because I'm known for advocating it, but it's just, this is 
the truth. It is the truth. Nobody has come close to contradicting it. And the reason I know I'm so right is because my enemies, so to speak, are so obviously wrong. Like if people were saying, yeah, there's a climate catastrophe, but let's scale up nuclear rapidly. And yes, I recognize the world is better than ever, but there's something looming. Yeah, but no, they say the world is worse than ever when it's clearly better than ever. And they say green energy success when it's failed. And they say climate's more dangerous than ever when it's safer than ever. What that proves to me is that this whole movement is based on an anti-human framework, which is the anti-impact framework. It says that human impact on nature is wrong. We should, we should, our goal should be unimpacted nature and unimpacted earth. And it's somehow going to destroy us because the earth is a delicate nurturer whose delicate balance will be upset if we impact it. So really, there's just a false religion that needs to be replaced by a true philosophy or framework. And once you're on that framework, the facts are actually pretty straightforward, which are that fossil fuels have been making the world a much better place to live for 200 years, that they can continue to, and that if they do continue to, life will be better across the board and will ultimately develop real alternatives, particularly nuclear. Okay, that was my uh, rant. Let's see. Uh, so there's somebody's anti-nuclear. Sweden is closing nuclear. Uh, Ontario, yeah, I mean, Ontario is a mixture because they have all this ridiculous wind stuff, but they have a lot of nuclear and a lot of hydro. So the nuclear can be done other places. The hydro is uh, is limited. So let me uh, let me wrap up the show. I hope you enjoyed that uh, the show, and then my uh, my final comments. As always, if you have any questions, comments, love mail or hate mail, email me at alex at alexepstein.com. Also, let me know if you enjoyed the live format. I may do that more. In the future is sort of a last minute thing, but I think it worked pretty well today. Let's see what else. Oh, yeah. Well, if you like the work that we are doing, uh, you can help our research and development and our promotional efforts by becoming an accelerator at industrialprogress.com slash accelerate. I would highlight in particular, one of the things our accelerators support is Stefan, my amazing researcher, and I'm very fortunate to have this this amazing full-time researcher, and he's really the person who just keeps me plugged into all these things, keeps me on top of the facts and just challenges me all the time. So I just want to give particular tribute to him. He's been doing heroic work, helping me with my energy talking points, with this blackout issue, and then with this new book, which just requires five times more research, at least I'm sure than the first one. Uh, so that's been really great. And then going forward, you know, once I'm done with this book, we're going to be able to spend accelerator money on promoting like our most successful media and really putting it, you know, really uh, putting dollars behind it so that millions and ultimately tens of millions of people can see it. Let's see anything else. We'll make sure if if you want the latest talking points, follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Alex Epstein, and go to uh, energytalkingpoints.com. Also, if you know anybody in the U.S. Congress, U.S. Senate, or governor's office, whether it's the, the official or a staffer, and they want to get talking points every week. They can join my group, Energy Talking Points On Demand. They can do that at energytalkingpointsondemand.com, or they can just email me at alex at alexepstein.com. All right, that is it for this week, except it's not because I actually have another guest coming this week. I have Michael Lynch to talk about the future of oil, one of my favorite all-time guests. And then next week, I have a young superstar, I believe, or superstar in the making. Somebody's almost 20 years younger than I am, and I'm just 40, uh, but he is doing some really impressive work, and he is going to help educate us on energy security and the threat of our policies toward China with regard to energy security. So looking forward to that. All right, that is it for this week. 
I'll be back next week. Until then, I'm I'll be back later this week, and then I'll be back next week again. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been Power Hour. Power Hour. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of energy. Power Hour. The antidote to shallow thinking about energy issues.